The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, dear listener, to Echoes of Eshetan, a solo play Degenesis podcast that lets the dice rolls tell the story. You'll find the gripping narratives in this apocalyptic setting unfold before your very ears. You'll hear stories of loss and injustice, redemption and hope. A miasma of gloom drifts across the barren wastes while nightmarish beasts roam and terrorize cities and settlements. Only mankind's inexhaustible will to survive offers the faintest glimmer of hope on the horizon. The echoing shades of the bygone peoples lingers on the wind and on the lips of survivors in this hell on earth. What stories will they tell? He's gone, sir. They all are. Gone? What do you mean, gone? Corporal Eaglin could see the confused look on Sergeant Nielsen's face, so she clarified. The Overlook scouts in Sector 2 can't find any sign of them. The trail of leprous bodies will take some time to sort through, but there are some family members amongst the dead. Fuck. I am sorry, sir. Matthias's chest heaved with a sigh, and Etta paced, rubbing her knuckles together in thought. Etta's mind was reeling searching for any positive outcome and grasping at straws. What about horses? Have any come back to the checkpoint gates? No, the only animals kept nearby were funneled immediately into the pen on the far right of the checkpoint. What about night patrols? He may still be out there, injured. We have orders not to patrol past nightfall until the all clear is given. We can take pot shots at Gendos from the Overlook, but only if they're threatening people alive and on their feet. Etta swallowed a hard lump and cleared her throat. The memories of Kiefer talking in the tent, coming down through the mountains, sharing herbal tea, and poking fun at the youthful pseudo, played in her mind. She squatted down to the floor and spread her legs out, the weight of the news settling around her shoulders. Hope is just as dangerous as a bullet or dagger, I think, Etta said flatly. She tossed a stray bit of dirt absent-mindedly onto the floor. Matthias joined Etta on the ground after he'd dismissed Eaglin. He propped his head against the plastic container and fiddled with the receiver on his trailblazer as he spoke. Hey, you're still here. But for how much longer? This is shaping up to be one hell of a deployment. Matthias rubbed his eyes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not the easy tour I hoped for either. What in the hell brings you and that chronicler out here anyway? Etta continued to stare vacantly into space. The buzz lights above flickered and thrummed their electric song. My turn came up in the judges' rotation. I didn't want to take a free excuse to not leave and wanted to explore the outer regions while I still could. Either wither dismally in an arranged courtship, expire in the line of duty, or explore the world and have a life well lived. I think I've come to regret that gung-ho attitude. Matthias chuckled. <laughs> Recruiters always get your blood going when you're young. Be the shield for your people and hold the forts, he decreed with mocking bravado. 
I was a second-generation Helvetic. My die was already cast, it seems. But as a simple rank and file, you work with what you have, and not what you hope for. Etta rolled her head to one side to look at Matthias, and gave him a weak smile. Thanks. A man coughed loudly in the corner of the room as a spitalian came to his cot to check his vitals. Matthias adjusted his collar and further reclined against the plastic bins behind him. But you had a free pass to stay in Justician. How did you get that lucky in the first place? My father. Fond memories of hearth and home filled the gaps of her somberness. Riding on her father's shoulders to watch the fireworks display for Judge Arcot's birthday. Playing hide-and-seek in Calendar Square during his lunch hour. She could picture her mother's beautiful face as she sat next to her in court. Her mother staring longingly at her husband as he delivered appeals and dictated to the powerful senators. Dare of Youngbao, an astute, calculating man, was driven by a fervor of keeping what family he had left from extinction. The city of Justician, downtown near the Stukov Quarter, 23 days ago. City official Derev Youngbao trotted up the large, wide staircase outside the public house, taking the stairs two at a time and catching a soft, nighttime breeze through his silvery hair. He passed several staggering clanners sprawled across the landing and kicked one of them with a bottle dangling in his hand who was making sour faces at everyone else passing by. Oi, drunkard, rouse your other festering companions and clean yourselves up. I'm making you responsible for these other three. Don't be here when I leave. <laughs> I was just enjoying the evening, being amongst the people, Gov. Find your enjoyment elsewhere. You rabble do not fit in here and insult the station of the Garamond. The inebriated brigand sucked through his teeth and moved slowly at Darif's request, speaking in a terse, franken accent behind his back. Darif continued up the stairs without looking behind him and pulled open the thick wooden door leading inside a sprawling inn filled with a lively crowd. The Garamond is the oldest inn in Justician, and it wears this title with pride. Within these venerable walls, the supreme judges broke bread together, advocates redrafted fundamental passages of the Codex, and legendary executioners rested their heads after doling out punishment. At least, that is how the stories go. No one is sure how much of these legends are truth or hearsay. Adalia, the landlord, is an old fogey who intentionally conflates the fairy tales with a dash of truth to spin her own yarns and entertain her guests, at least for a little while. Located on the north side of the old fortress, the Garamond is reserved for members of high society with deep pockets. Expensive feather-down beds and exquisite food and drink are secondary amenities compared to the chance to brush shoulders with the advocates. Many of the families and great houses send their heralds to argue over codex passages in the Garamond's halls, and anyone looking for a way in pays the exorbitant costs, takes a seat at the bar, and waits for any advocates and their scribes to appear. A well-placed round of brandy or wine, and one will be recognized by the regulars as a generous patron. Carousal, just like the Senate court, has its own procedure. Anyone who disrespects the advocates will find doors slammed in their face. In addition to the judges, 
Many of the family members who are active in the public sector can also be found in this cadre of movers and shakers. Impressing a public servant of the office of locality, for instance, with an act of courtesy may lead to him remembering the gesture later on, making it easier to acquire citizenship papers. If a small gift finds its way into the bloated hands of an examiner from the Office of Civil Economics, harvest certification carries a little less fear. What's that? A form has disappeared. Ah, well, happens all the time. And with so many forms, it's impossible to keep track of them all. The last great comfort that the Garamund offers is its storytellers. Every evening after the sun has set, a show begins in front of the crackling log fire. Local raconteurs appear before the assembled guests, telling stories, rumors, legends, and myths that all took place from the protectorate's past or are rooted in current affairs. After a few hours, the haunting is over, and the guests toss their drafts into a bowl to reward the narrator for his performance before shuffling off to their silken sheets or unopened bottles of herbal liqueur from Brennan. In the evening, the Garamond was like most watering holes in Justician. It was overly crowded and too many people leaned over shoulders to listen in on what could be the next great secret to spread at the forecourt market the next morning. There were city judges, advocates, protectors, and other city officials present, laughing and mingling amongst members of repute. Hammers and coats were hung by the front door next to a hand-carved wooden plaque reading Carpe Noctum in Old Latin. Billowing sleeves and draping fabric distinguished officials of note from the rest of the cult, and Darev liked lashing them around his forearms to keep the sleeves from dragging across the puddles of distillate, drool, and spilled wine on the oaken bar top. The barkeep on duty, a gray-haired man with a balding crown of hair, slung a damp rag over his shoulder as he approached Darev and offered a smile. Hello there, city official. What's your poison? Poison? Nay, wine. Wine that the gods drank in the days of old. A fortified red from the Brinney's cask selection. A large glass, if you will. Darev pulled a sheaf of chronicler drafts out of his pocket and slid a ten-denomination note onto the counter. A small trap door beneath the bartender banged loudly with two knocks, its iron handle bouncing on its mounting plate. Just in time. It's coming right up, sir. The barkeep stooped down and lifted the trapdoor handle, exposing the face of a young blonde woman with a kerchief holding back her hair. She carried a small, firkin cask over her shoulder and passed it up with stiffened arms to the barkeep. Thank you, love. By the by, those dirty tankards and plates across the way need a scrub. Yes, father. Just let me finish sweeping downstairs a moment longer. It's filthy. The young woman disappeared as the trap door closed over her head. Darev saw the old man push off his knees to straighten himself back up. Even still, he walked with a crook in his spine and in his gait. Is that your youngest? Darev asked as the barkeep hoisted the cask onto the barback and drew a wooden hammer from his belt. Hmm, yes sir. The barkeep dug the sharpened edge of a tap handle into the softened wood of the barrel and took a few practice swings with his hammer, aligning the mallet with the tap. She seems lovely. Is she obedient? <coughs> Only a small splash of wine fell onto the barkeep's practiced hand as he wiped it clean on his towel. Oh yes, to a fault, I reckon. Never gave me or her mother any trouble. Always did as she was told. With a small squeak from the tap and a twist of the wooden T-shaped handle, 
the wine began to flow freely into a pewter chalice the barkeep procured from underneath the wooden countertop. Does she always keep to the cellar? Darev asked, watching the wine cascade into the chalice. Mostly. With respect, I don't like her milling about in this crowd. Although it's usually pleasant here, there have been occasions where public discourse gets a bit heated. Between the occasional throne chair and wandering eyes, she feels a bit uneasy. Hmm. Understandable. The barkeep slid the cup in front of Darev, who lifted it up to his nose to take in its sweet and spicy aroma. He took a long drink from the brim and rolled around the unctuous flavors in his mouth before nodding in approval. He gathered his robes from underneath his squat stool and stepped away from the bar, pausing only briefly to hear another two knocks from the trapdoor beneath. A daughter, kept safe in doing her duty, locked away from the world. Darrow spied a table in the corner of the room and made his way over, walking past patrons engaged in conversational doldrums, some stimulating, some drunken. He drew up a chair and checked his pocket watch. It was almost 10 p.m. Darrow heard the main door open again and looked up to see a sturdy-looking fighter in a studded cuirass stepped across the threshold and unburdened himself of the sword scabbard and knife at his belt, hanging them on a nail by the door. He stepped aside and bowed his head as a woman entered in from the night air. The woman glided into the room wearing a floor-length advocate's robe and a tri-cornered advocate's habit on her head, its stiffened leather making her as tall as her male counterpart. A set of ornate keys dangled from a long sash at her hip and flopped gently against a snow-white animal fur. The fur tail swayed hypnotically by its tar-dipped metal fastener as she walked, almost as if she was part animal herself. She nodded at the barkeep, who was already fetching another pewter goblet from beneath the bar. The stout bodyguard closed the door behind her as she tucked a leather riding crop underneath her arm and peeled off her gloves, revealing smooth, graceful hands underneath. Her soft sleeve garments were held up by silk finger loops around her middle digits that cradled the now filled wine goblet she lifted from the counter. Her sharp blue eyes darted across the room, taking in the sights of swarthy men and women fussing and cajoling with each other. Her gaze fell upon Darov's slicked back hair and manicured appearance that stood out from the crowd. He caught her eyes and raised his glass in a small salute. She casually crossed her arms and returned the gesture. She tilted her head to speak over her shoulder to the guard, who maintained a straightforward glare, but nodded his head in approval. The woman untucked her riding crop and sauntered over to Darev, tapping the crop on the pleats of her robe rhythmically as she strode. Darev arose on her approach and gently pulled the chair across from him out in a chivalrous display. She sat down and laid her crop and fur across her lap to prevent any floor grime or drying sawdust from staining the pure white hair. Good evening, Lady Aretha. Good evening, city official Youngbao. It seems you beat me to the first glass of Bernie's finest. No dregs from the barrel's bottom for us. I was lucky enough to catch the barkeep as he uncorked a fresh cask. Hmm, let's talk and toast to more of luck. It seems the harder I work, the more I have. To the lucky ones, then. May we always count ourselves among them. The small toast brought another beautiful swig of the fortified wine to both tongues, and the moment of satisfactory silence was broken by loud guffaws and amusement from the crowd behind them. 
Well, you've certainly been busy these past few years. It's no wonder your luck doesn't runneth over like the wine in your cup. Tell me, do all your Purgan affairs award you such fineries as that white wolf's tail? Aretha Montefell stroked the wolf's tail in her lap. She took another sip from the goblet, her plump lips coming together to savor the alcohol. Vespaccio is so candid with his gift-giving. He sees value where others do not. But I think you've come here for more than just complimenting my gifts and wardrobe. She rested her elbows on the table and leaned forward, interlacing her fingers around the stem of the pewter goblet. I was surprised when your aide arrived with a letter at my door asking for an audience at the Garamond. Why are we meeting in this hovel instead of tasting even better wine at one of my estates? Because your estates, at least the ones I know of, have as many chronicler drones as the uptown plaza buzzing around them. If I wanted to be so monitored, I'd just as well hold our meeting in the open forecourt. Hmm, privacy then. Be straight. Do you mean to discuss treasonous talk? She inquired hastily. The air between them grew heavy from her acerbic tone. Derev responded quickly to dispel her suppositions. No, no treason. I want to discuss an alliance. The Salvano weeds are beginning to overtake the verge. Your patronage of the Neo-Libyan Academy in Pergare is already draining the soil in which they grow. If only my family was able to make such an investment. I'm sure I don't need to explain to you the dwindling resources of the once venerable House Youngbao. True. I know of your family's struggles and the recent marriage of your cousin to a Salvano. Waning interest in the judiciary from the newest generation and this assimilation for survival makes your bloodline thin. And yet, Youngbao sounds more synonymous with burden than venerable. Do you have any material left to strengthen your position on the board? Darev took a sip of his wine and set the cup down to steeple his fingers. I have someone in play across the Pergan border, a judge with grit, expressiveness, and with deep connections to House Youngbao. Keeping a judge ambassador in Bergamo maintains presence. Aretha scoffed minutely as she took another sip of her wine, swirling the berry red liquid in her hand. Please don't tell me that your house lineage rests on the shoulders of Protector Gregor Kant. Darev smiled wryly. Of course not. He's as delicate as a boulder. No. This judge is familiar with Senate floor procedure and can handle herself in a diplomatic exchange. Aretha cocked an eyebrow and her lips turned upward. A female you trust implicitly with exposure to Senate proceedings and stays malleable to your commands. She let the description hang as she stared at Darev, working it out in her mind. Does your desperation truly dictate using your daughter in these machinations? Darev paused mid-sip. He hadn't expected her to work it out so quickly, though Aretha's web of connections was extensive. He replied calmly to the remark. A young Bao's strength of character does not lead to desperation, only preparation. My daughter was given the option to recuse herself from this deployment, but she refused safety and opted for duty. Her personal convictions to serve supersede anything I might force her to do. Aretha idly ran a finger around the rim of her goblet as she spoke. A pawn unwilling to move is a useless piece. 
How do you account for her headstrong attitude? Faith in my child. It must mean nothing to a studied and enterprising woman of your stature, but it is what my wife, another woman of conviction, let be her guiding principle. Her death and the Colossus incident shook us. Yet we still stand, our faith in justition, unwavering. Loud conversation across the Garamond peaked briefly before it calmed again. It filled the lull in conversation as Aretha sniffed her wine goblet and drank deeply. She read Darev's face carefully, scrutinizing his eye contact, his speaking cadence, and his thoughtfulness. She did not find him wanting. City official Youngbao, the Silvano's faith in justician can be weighed and measured in drafts and dinars. No matter what Emil Silvano may say in the court for appearance sake, House Mantefel and House Masic remain a large thorn in his side. He'd love nothing more than to see us all bend a knee to him and endorse his supreme judge succession. I'd love nothing more than to see the treachery of House Silvano fade into oblivion. A devilish smile appeared briefly across the lady's face before disappearing behind her goblet. Darrow's heartbeat skipped with anticipation. However, faith only carries my goodwill so far. First, I'll want to hear how your judge interacts with Gala Lombardi, governor of Lucatore. If she can stand up to Gala's gaze, she'll prove invaluable in other diplomatic arrangements. Second, I'll require your unyielding support on all Senate matters related to Jehamadan rights in justician, as well as open trade borders for the city of Osman. Darev's jaw tightened. Both of those requests are severe. Respectfully, being a sympathizer for terrorists seems antithetical to what we're both trying to accomplish here for justician. I say otherwise. These are my terms, after all. As the old African proverb says, only a fool tests the depths of a river with both feet. Aretha leaned back in her chair, looking down her nose at Darev across the table. Darev rubbed his chin as his cheeks flushed. The Jahamidans, prideful people, but treasonous. His wife had championed them, but her faith in them led to her demise. Would he be foolish enough to let it do the same to him? How much faith would he need? Be with me, Mika, he thought. Darev grabbed his wine goblet and held it aloft. I agree to your terms. I'd only ask that we not forget the old Latin as well when we make such promises to each other. Acta non verba domina mantefel, he said, and raised his goblet. Quid pro quo, Domini Youngbao? The pair finished their wine and set the goblets to the side. How will I send word to your daughter, what was her name, about meeting with Gala? Her name is Etta, and I would radio Lucatore first to see if she, this battalion and chronicler they are escorting, have arrived early. If not, I imagine they are near Mulhouse by this point. Any Helvetics that can be spared will be paid for their sweep of the area to find them. You say she's with a chronicler. Perhaps she will be easier to reach through my radio relay. Regardless, save your funds for more local matters. 
Aretha and Darov arose from the table as the young girl from beneath the cellar approached the table to pick up the empty wine goblets. At the front door, the guard aided Mantefel in putting on her coat and gloves as Darov unlashed his sleeves to let them dangle freely in the chilly night air sweeping in from the outside. The crowd noise inside was muted once they had closed the front door, but the same Franck and vagrants were still taking up space on the staircase landing. Darev scoffed loudly and cleared his throat, <clears throat> but thinly gloved hands stayed his voice. Aretha waved her guard toward the drunks, and a thick boot heel stepped down onto an unguarded hand in a squeal of pain. An angry face with slouching cheeks and a slack jaw spins around to face up at Aretha and the guard, but the bum's eyes break away from her face and he looks back down at his crushed hand. Aretha curled her lips over her teeth and spat in a Franken accent. The drunks exchanged nervous glances as Aretha took a few more steps down the stairs and projected a commanding sentence over her shoulder, speaking in perfect Franken. Na, alles klar? The bums scattered down the stairs like mice, bottles rattling in their hand as the leader wrenched his hand free from the boot heel and followed suit. <coughs> Thank you for the wine, city official Jungbau she said politely, as her guard flanked her, and they moved silently back down through the Stukov Quarter, past the ruins of the old fortress, and out of sight. Darev Youngbao adjusted his spectacles and thought, The queen on a chessboard moves wherever she pleases. Until we meet again, Lady Montefel. He pondered their meeting and his potential schemes as he made his way all the way back to his house in Uptown. So we've gotten a bit of information about Darab Youngbao's schemes, but it became apparent to me that I haven't rolled any dice for this episode. It is a game after all, and I don't want this to just turn into an audiobook, so let me think. I want Aretha Montefel to keep her advantage against Darab Youngbao, as he is already in her pocket for support. However, I don't want Darab to turn into a patsy or some useless flunky. He's a bureaucratic leader with a major eye for details after all. I'll roll her psyche plus cunning versus Darev's Psyche Plus Cunning for future planning in episodes. This could be a potentially big role even if I don't quite know how to use it at the moment. So let's see. Okay, now this makes sense based on how I see the characters in my head, as well as the statistics offered in the Moloch Sourcebook, which has a ton of NPC characters to choose from. Aretha rolls two triggers across her six successes to Darev's one trigger. I love it when the dice align with what I have planned. I just better not get used to it. Aretha will keep the upper hand, but will she be malicious in the future? She's already shown to be a fierce intellect, studying multiple cultures and languages, but Darev is installed in the Office of Locality, a powerful office to grant or deny potentials would-be citizenship. I suppose only time will tell as we take our story back to the present at the Mulhouse checkpoint. Your family has quite the legacy in that metropolis, it seems. And with a city official in your family and creature comforts, you still want it out. It's less wanted out and more needed out. You've never been to Justician. Matthias shook his head. 
Its splendor is second to none, with respect to your fortress, of course. Although I don't imagine I'll ever get to venture inside there. Justician's democracy is bolstered by its unchecked growth across the Protectorate and our strong allied city surrounding us in the Black Lung. I love the city, but what is unchecked growth if not a cancer? I had to get away for a time to not be enveloped by that malignancy. Cancer is spoken of in hushed tones by those battalions. It's one of those maladies, different from the primer, right? Eating you from the inside out? As far as I know, the cancer in Justician has a name too. The wealthy Sylvanus. Crooked. Maleficent. They take everything. And yet, they're insatiable. And they must be stopped. Something can stop an aristocracy out here? In the wild regions? Not something. Someone. I've got diplomatic papers and summons to be delivered to one Gala Lombardi, governor of Lucatore. Hopefully she's sympathetic to my father's case, but with the way things are going now, who knows? Hey, you've come all this way, you still have to try. Matthias said candidly, before leaning up and standing to his feet. Just like I've got to make my patrol rounds and check-ins. Based on Corporal Eaglin's report, we may be out of here by the morning. Try to get a bit more rest and I'll see about an escort past Basel checkpoint in the fortress beyond. At his eyelids drooped heavily again at the mention of more sleep. Matthias Nielsen motioned to leave before adding, Thanks for chatting. It's, uh, it's good hearing a voice like yours. Like mine? Yeah. Hopeful. Even if you don't believe it yourself. Etta gave a dry smile and looked down at her knees as Matthias turned on his heel. His footsteps had just begun to fade when rubber treads overtook the sound, and Pseudo announced her presence via radio click to Etta. And I thought we'd really started to bond. I'm being relegated back to beeps and clicks then, am I? No. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Etta's interaction with Sergeant Nielsen had already softened her enough to take the stiff joke in stride, and she patted the thick concrete floor next to her. Come, plant yourself here, and I'll tell you a joke. Affirmative. Suda replied, and sat down cross-legged, static hissing from her repaired vocoder. She looked at Etta with her acrylic lenses gleaming in the buzz light. A lead cook in the senatorial kitchen is preparing a fancy banquet for special guests. This feast will be held at the Odeon Theatre west of Judgment Hall, and even Supreme Judge Arcot himself will be in attendance. The guests are a Neo-Libyan magnate, neck heavy with glittering gold and jewels, a high Brisbanian clan leader with a centuries-old lineage, and, in a show of excellent goodwill, a former thief was invited who worked off his time busting granite in the cleft. The cook asks each guest what they'd like to eat at the banquet. The magnate claims that he's eaten the mightiest animals in the Sahara and only meat will satisfy his African palate. The clanner leader states that with no seafood comparable to her homeland, only the freshest, spiciest and most aromatic herbs will satisfy her high Brisbanian palate. When the cook gets to the skinny cleft prisoner, he discovers the man can't speak. His mouth and gums are swollen from being punched in the mouth by other guards for talking out of turn or being a nuisance. His city judge handler pipes up and says, It's alright, cookie. 
just bring him some chestnuts and a glass of water to satisfy his cleft palate. <laughs> but convicts are not allowed in uptown. Etta snorted. Her spirits were a bit lifted. She drew her ankles up under her rear and rested her forehead on her knees, closing her eyes. <laughs> I suppose chroniclers know best. Wake me up if Matthias or the other Helvetics raise the gates. You know, it's amazing you don't drown in that stream of knowledge and luckluster humor. A distorted snicker emanated from Pseudo's vocoder before being quickly turned to mute. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Echoes of Escheton. The music for the show is provided by Tabletop Audio, original 10-minute ambience and music tracks for your games and stories. I'd like to extend my gratitude to my talented and expanding voice cast for their hard work. Lyric as Etta Youngbao and newcomer Aretha Montefell, Wingnut as Sergeant Matthias Nielsen, Muenmos as Pseudo-19, and Cammy as Corporal Eaglin and other NPCs. I met these fine folks on the social platform Discord. Discord is an amazing way to keep up with listeners and other fans of the show. Users have the ability to chat with voice and video calls, instant messaging, and can share media in private chats or as part of a larger community called a server. I like the platform so much, in fact, that I started an Echoes of Escheton Discord server. You can find the link to join my server in this episode's description on your podcatcher app or web portal, on my Twitter profile link tree, or on the homepage of my new website, echoesofescheton.com. If you would like to support the show, there are multiple ways to do so. You can share this post-apocalyptic fiction podcast with a friend, like and retweet show announcements on Twitter, or leave a rating on your podcatcher of choice. I've gotten some great comments on the Spotify Interact section, and I'd like to share a few of them. From episode 19, I asked, That's a season wrap on Kiefer Stukov. The dice decided his fate. Did he go out like a boss or a wimp? Nix, who has commented several times in the past, replied, The fact he collapsed may just have saved his life. He fought to the end, so I say nay, he's a beast. I agree, Nix. Kiefer did have some lucky breaks even when outnumbered. I also got a lot of great responses to episode 18 as well, the Mulhouse Massacre, when I asked the audience about Kiefer's fate. Does gone mean dead? Discuss how Kiefer might have died. Make it cool, heroic, or silly. Isaac Alexander Jr. wrote, Even if Kiefer has passed, I'm sure he made a good account of himself and did the nomads proud. <laughs> nice. Way to throw in a callback from episode 12, Isaac. Looney Personi wrote, Not dead. He got the idea to ride Etta's abandoned horse and spray the fungicide rifle on horseback. He rides too far and gets lost in some places. He will probably come back. Well, Looney, I liked the idea of Petra coming back in somehow. And this comment actually gave me the idea to have the Spitalian rescue team load Kiefer into the cart being towed by Petra. So thanks for the fun comment, Looney. And thank you all for listening and loving the show. Until next time, dear listeners.